Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dane Brugler, as always. A uh, special guest this week, uh, bringing in Shiel Kapadia, who you can get on Twitter at uh, Shiel, that's S-H-E-I-L, Kapadia, K-A-P-A-D-I-A. Uh, he's uh, been running the show for us on The Athletic on our look ahead to free agency. Uh, checked out some some trade angles that might come up this offseason, so we'll get to him uh, shortly, happy to have him here. Uh, we'll kind of take a little different look at the draft, maybe uh, how free agency is still scheduled to start on Wednesday as of right now. Uh, we'll see how that might impact the draft. We know there's a lot going on uh, all over right now. People have a lot of things on their minds, so we appreciate you sticking with us here, maybe getting a little distraction for half hour, 45 minutes. Uh, as I always mention, if you haven't got a subscription to The Athletic yet, you can get on theathletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off. Also get you access to Dane's great draft guide when that drops in a couple weeks here, two, three weeks. What do we got left, Dane? You, you done? <sighs> I wish. No, it's, I'm probably 80% done. So we're, we're getting there slowly but surely. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, I, I'm to the point where I'm, I, I'm literally I have an Ivy League tape on my screen right now and it's just like all right i uh, trying to trying to figure out where to cut it off where to nod and all that so well, we're getting there put it that way uh well dane also has a uh his latest mock 4.0 went up after the combine and uh as i mentioned shield's been dropping some great content we just had uh he put up the top 100 free agents and now just uh this week put up the NFL free agency predictions where he matched those top 100 players with teams. And that's sort of where we wanted to jump in with you, Shield, because, uh, you know, we've got the mock. We've got Dane and I have been talking about how the, uh, you know, top of this draft is going to go and where the quarterbacks are going to land and all those things. And obviously the those are the biggest dominoes to fall, like looking at your top 100, you know, quarterbacks in the top four spots, Dak, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, um, that's where everyone's paying attention. You got Tannehill at 11. So, um, we can get specifically into a couple of these guys, but just sort of, do you, have you been able to wrap your head around what this quarterback market's going to look like? Because it's, I mean, as it's been setting up this whole time, it looks like one of the wilder, more wide open quarterback markets we've seen, you know, maybe ever in free agency. Yeah, it, it really feels like it's unprecedented. It's it's a weird offseason when the quarter starting quarterback supply outweighs the demand. But I really think that's what we have. I mean, a guy like Jameis Winston, if the Bucks go elsewhere, I had a hard time finding a team where I said, all right, this really makes sense, where he could at least be a starter here. A coach could take him in and see if they can cut down on those interceptions, build on his upside. Like It, it was hard for me to find that. I ended up giving him a backup job. But, but obviously, you know, there's so much talk about Tom Brady, and I'm sure people are have Tom Brady fatigue at this point, but it really is the first domino that has to fall before everything else happens. Because if he goes back to New England, then all of a sudden other interested, te- potentially interested teams, the Bucks, the Titans, uh, maybe the Niners, maybe the Chargers, maybe the Raiders, all these different teams, then they have to go to their plan B. If he signs with one of those teams, then all of a sudden the Patriots have to figure out their quarterback plan. So uh, yeah, it, it is going to be wild once this thing gets going and, and specifically specifically once Brady makes his decision. Well, Dane, uh, this is, I would say real quick with these quarterbacks, it's just so interesting because we're so 
you know, Chris and I were so draft focused and, you know, we're talking about where Herbert's going to end up, where, you know, Burrow's going to Cincinnati and, you know, but what's going on with Tua and all this. But kind of what you're saying, these, these quarterbacks are free agency. That's really what's going to, you know, set these, set these dominoes off. Uh, I think Tom Brady, we would all agree is the, that first domino, like you said, is there a clear second domino that you think among these quarterbacks that, you know, we're kind of, uh, are going to be waiting to see, you know, where that's, you know, Tom Brady's one thing, but then, okay, who's that second domino to see where he goes. That's really going to, you know, help everything else fall in line. I think it's probably Phillip Rivers because, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, I would be stunned if he's not going back. Drew Brees, we know he's going back uh, to the Saints. And if the Titans do not get Tom Brady, I think it's a pretty good bet that they're just going to keep Ryan Tannehill. Now, some of those could be franchise tags. Some of those could be extensions. We'll see. But I think Rivers is certainly the the guy to watch. But then there, there's like trade targets, too. You know, like let, do the Chargers make a play for Cam Newton? He, I, I know Matt Rule said he's going to keep Cam Newton in Carolina. That obviously can change. Teddy Bridgewater is another interesting name. So I think Rivers is probably the second guy because I think Tampa could make a run at him and then everyone else could go from there. But uh, there really are just so many kind of balls in the air that uh, will be juggled once once these guys make their decisions and, and have an opportunity to sign and move teams. Yeah, I want to get back to Bridgewater in a second. Dane, I was going to hop in there and ask, because obviously if Brady moves on, uh, like Shield said, the, the Patriots have to figure out something else. And Jared Stidham's a guy that they have in there, you know, kind of grooming maybe towards being... Uh, the replacement there, Jeff Howe, um, one of our NFL, great NFL beat writers at The Athletic, wrote something uh, March 6th, which was last week, uh, I guess. It <laughs> feels longer than that. Uh, but uh, March 6th, yeah, about Stidham, and he's been working with uh, Jordan Palmer, who's you know now a, a throwing coach, was uh, is Carson Palmer's brother, had a career himself. But uh, he's Palmer said, to be clear, I think – Stidham, I think he's a star. He's going to be a big-time franchise quarterback. I'm just curious if uh, you can dip back into the old scouting reports there, Dane. What do you feel about Jared Stidham coming out? I mean, was he a guy that you thought could develop into, I mean, maybe not Tom Brady, but as someone that could handle handle a starting job? Well, he's certainly talented. I don't think there's any question about that. And we saw it, you know, first at Baylor, then he transfers to Auburn. He's part of an offense that didn't really – you know, that Gus Malzahn offense didn't really do a great job developing his passing talent. It's a very elementary level offense. Uh, and so I don't think it really uh, gave him a chance to develop and kind of spread his wings and show what he could really do. But I, when you break down the traits, there's a lot to like there. He, he's got a well-built frame. I mean, he's, you know, six two and a half, two twenty, 220, pretty good athlete, moves really well, uh, throws a really nice ball, uh, you know, tight, not afraid of tight windows. Um, I, you know, I think it just comes down to confidence for him and being comfortable in a system. So you could tell when you watch him at Auburn, um, he he would too often let pressure affect his decision making. He'd drop his eyes. Um, he needs to you know get to develop some of that patience to allow routes to develop, uh, and that in turn would help his anticipation, quicken his trigger, things down the field. So um, I, I think it's a he's a player who. The physical traits are there, and I think that the mental traits just need developed, and that's something that we don't know on the outside because we don't 
obviously see what's going on in practice, what's going on in the meeting rooms uh, in New England to understand how is he growing. And, you know, maybe the Patriots won't even really know until, you know, game action we see him. So uh, the Patriots are in an interesting spot. If Obviously, if Brady moves on, um, you know, they're – there's some talk about would they go quarterback at what the 23rd pick in the first round if Herbert or Love were to fall to them or could they possibly you know go with, maybe trade back into the second round and go with an Eason or a Love or, or excuse me with a Fromm so you know I, I think the Patriots that that if Tom Brady goes elsewhere all of a sudden the Patriots quarterback situation becomes one of the more interesting storylines and Stidham's definitely a part of that. I almost wonder. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I almost wonder if Bill Belichick would be like, want to show people that he could win without Tom Brady. I mean, I know he did it with Matt Castle, but I I almost wonder if he'd be like, give me Andy Dalton and let's go see if we can win the AFC East and just kind of play the flip side too. ego game. Right. Ego game. And the flip side too, if Brady would want to show that he could do it. Yeah. hundred percent. Without Belichick. And so Sheila, if, if you had to declare a front runner, uh, for Tom Brady, would it would it be the Titans, or do you think there's another team that would kind of emerge as maybe a spot where where Tom would want to go? It's tough. I, I still think the you know despite sort of all the reports that the Patriots are the favorite, and I have him going back there. But if you were going to switch teams, I mean there there's like pluses and minuses for all these different teams. I mean there was a time I thought the Raiders might be the most likely landing spot. Their offensive line was really good last year. They could make a significant move for another weapon. They've already got some pretty good weapons with Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro. If they had one more receiver, that's kind of a a good spot. But uh, it it does feel like the Titans, I I guess if I had to choose a spot right now, if he wasn't going to go to New England, I think I've probably switched and and would probably make it Tennessee just because of his familiarity with the head coach there. Uh, They've got some cap space. They can make some moves. That would probably be it. But yeah, it really would be interesting if he goes elsewhere to see what the Patriots do. I mean, I I would almost advocate for them to take kind of multiple bites at the apple, if that makes sense. You know, maybe you like Stidham a little bit. I wouldn't go into the season saying he's the starter. I would bring in a Bridgewater or Dalton or Derek Carr and, you know, say, all right, if Stidham kind of outplays these guys and he looks clearly like the the better player, then we can go with him as the starter, but we don't want to be forced into doing that. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, if Brady leaves, I think they're still the favorites in the AFC East. Uh, You know, they'll figure out the quarterback thing. They're still going to have a really good defense. They're still going to have a coach who gives them an edge on a weekly basis. It almost feels to me like Brady needs the Patriots more than the Patriots would need Brady at at this point. I mean, he, he is not a top five, top seven, top eight level quarterback right now. And so I think they could win with another guy next season. They got a lot of moving parts this offseason, too. I mean, it's not just Brady. They're potentially yeah. losing Joe Tooney, Ted Karras. Those are two starters off their line. Tooney maybe going to reset. He and Brandon Scherf set the the guard market. Uh, Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy, Devin McCourty. I mean, they're potentially losing. I'm sure all those guys won't end up heading out, but they're potentially losing several pieces beyond Tom Brady. So this is... This is going to be a really interesting offseason in New England, not just for the Tom Brady perspective, but what they do in general and, and how they handle the draft. I mean, that's a team we've seen, uh, you know, that Bill Belichick doesn't mind moving around in the draft quite a bit. Uh, and they just picked up a bunch of compensatory picks. So 
There's a lot happening in New England this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think defensively, those guys you mentioned, uh, now there's all these, you know, there's Patriots, former assistants sprinkled around the league. So it's like, all right, you know, Matt Patricia, uh, Joe Judge, Brian Flores, like a lot of these guys have familiarity with those players. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Van Noy, Collins, those guys move on. I, I think Devin McCourty's probably a guy the Patriots would like to hold on to, and it probably makes sense for him at this point to stay there. But you're right, it, it isn't just. Brady, and then there's the question of if you do keep it, like you need to upgrade the weapons around him significantly. And so then you have to go in that direction. Whereas if Brady walks, uh, you know, maybe you're thinking uh, a different way. I, I don't know if it would be, hey, build up the defense. Let's get a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes and win that way. But they have sort of different avenues they can explore if Brady goes somewhere else. Dane, I think in your latest mock, uh, let's see, you had um, taken A.J. Epinesa at 23, which, I mean, that's about as New England a prospect as there is in this draft, I think. And it's a guy I've been talking about for the Lions for a while, too, for those same reasons. Uh, and Yeah, like like you said, Sheila, all those Patriots, the Patriots trees branched out so much that we're going through the uh, potential Lions fits in free agency for the Athletic Detroit site. And it's, that's basically what, you know, has this guy ever played for the Patriots? Has he ever visited <laughs> Foxborough in his life? Has he ever talked to Bill Belichick? Like, that, that's the list. Uh, but, Dane, you've got Epinesa and then uh, Albert O, uh, tight end for Missouri, uh, Cooey Boonham at, at pick 87. Um, I know as you're going through this, you're not trying to hit, you know, whatever it is, 96 for 96 in a three-round mock right after the combine. So what's your read on where the Patriots' needs are as you looked at them, you know, headed into Mach uh, 4.0? Well, I, I think uh, the part of the conversations with Tom Brady and the Patriots are going to be, uh, I'm sure from Tom's perspective, what are we doing on offense to be better than we were last year? You know, what are we doing in terms of adding skill players, um, you know, more weapons? And obviously with Gronk no longer there, that leaves a hole. And so what do they do at tight end? Uh, you know, do they make a splash play for a Hunter Henry? Um, you know, are they able to pry him out of uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers? Because uh, that won't be cheap, uh, assuming they franchise uh, Henry. So, um, I, you know, I think when you look at the needs, um, uh, offense uh, certainly stands out as just getting more more firepower. Uh, and then on defense, uh, you know, I think they could go in the secondary with a guy like Xavier McKinney, who's viewed as a uh, maybe a low ceiling but high floor type of defender. Uh, smart, fits what uh, Bill Belichick's looking for. Um, and then on the defensive line, they're going to lose some bodies. So uh, a guy like A.J. Epinesa, I think, makes plenty of sense, who uh, didn't kill the combine uh, like we know, but uh, he's a guy that has great tape. He, I think, he fits the scheme well. So it, you know, I, I think the typical Patriots fashion, they could go in several directions, and I think it would make sense. I said I wanted to get back to uh, Bridgewater and to Rivers and Shield. You have Rivers landing with uh, Tampa Bay, which I think is an interesting fit. Uh, obviously, you said Jameis maybe moving on there. Kind of hard to figure out what, where Jameis is going to be next year, but. Um, what would you like about that fit? I mean, why does that one make sense for you? 
Yeah, I think the Colts obviously are another team that everyone's keeping an eye on with Rivers, and and that definitely makes sense with his connection to their offensive coordinator and Frank Reich and their uh, good offensive line. But you know, I, I kind of look at the Bucks that a team as a team that could be frisky next year if they get their uh, quarterback situation in order. I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you've got great receivers there. If they can get OJ Howard going, which they didn't do uh, last year, that's another guy who can certainly help. I, I think. Sir Certainly the offensive line would be a bit of a question mark. And if they're pitching Phillip Rivers, they probably need to say, well, we're here's what we're going to do on the offensive line. Right tackle's an issue for them to make the protection better. But uh, I don't know. I just like the idea of like Phillip Rivers and Bruce Arians in like a lab cooking up schemes and game plans uh, against the opponent and Rivers changing plays at the line of scrimmage and then Arians yelling at him as he comes to the sideline if he throws an interception. It seems sort of like a um, explosive what could be an explosive combination but what also could be a fun combination there and then I know you know this isn't going to be probably the deciding factor, but Rivers obviously moved his family to Florida in the offseason. That's not to say he couldn't play uh, elsewhere, but um, there certainly would be a a bit of a convenience factor there for him personally, it would seem, for uh, how many kids does he have now? I don't don't know if you guys remember, but I I, kind of lost track. But certainly all of his kids, he would be closer to them if he played for the Bucs. Yeah, and I I think that uh, when you... Look at the fit with Bruce Arians. Uh, you know he he worked with a you know more veteran quarterback in Carson Palmer um, in in Arizona. You know I, I think that Arians is not in a position where he necessarily wants to uh, you know develop a young quarterback. You know I, I, in my mock draft I had him going Jordan Love, and I still think they could go that direction. But you know Bruce Arians is not a young guy. I mean he, he's and I, I think when you look at the front office setup. They feel a little bit of pressure to win, and so if they're able to get a Philip Rivers, who's obviously in a win-now mode, uh, maybe you address the right tackle spot. I think that's the biggest issue on that offensive line. Um, maybe you address that right tackle spot at the 14th overall pick if one of those offensive tackles, Andrew Thomas, uh, were to fall. Um, I, I think that it, regardless, I think if they get a Philip Rivers, that really gives them options with how they want to attack the rest of the roster, how they want to attack the draft. Um, and all of a sudden, Tampa is looking like an interesting contender uh, in the NFC. Yeah, their their defense, I mean, if you look at it last year, like the overall traditional stats are all skewed because when the quarterback throws 30 interceptions, those are uh, certainly going to be skewed. But if you look at, you know, football outsiders, DVOA, or some of the other advanced stats, they, they were like a top five or six unit last year with Todd Bowles as their defensive coordinator. And that like wasn't the most talented certainly defense in in the NFL. They have a lot of young guys in the secondary that you would think would improve. It looks like they're going to bring back Shaquille Barrett, whether it's on the franchise tag or an extension, and uh, they do have some money to spend. So they could be a really interesting team depending on what they do at quarterback. Uh, Sorry for some of the ambient noise from my end here. I think I had the wrong microphone selected on our podcast setup. So apologies to everyone out there listening to me type away as we were uh, discussing here. But yeah, so I mentioned wanted to go back to Bridgewater too, because, uh, you know, he's a guy, I think teams, I mean, you have to be looking at him as at least someone who can contend for a starting job, if not a immediate shoe and starter. Uh, Sheil, you have him going to the Panthers. Is that on top of Cam Newton being there for another year, is that as a replacement for Cam Newton? Like, what's your what's your feel at that point? 
That that situation would be a replacement, but I, I think the Panthers are one of the more fascinating teams going into sort of free agency in the trade period. I mean, no one seems to know exactly what they're going to do. They trade a guy like Trey Turner, who you would think this is, a, I think he was, what, 26 years old. This is somebody who, even if you're counting on a two- or three-year rebuild, whatever it would be, he's someone who could still help you there. But they traded him. So, yeah, I, had, I thought Bridgewater could make sense for for Carolina in the sense that they could still draft and develop a young quarterback, but Bridgewater's got all the intangibles, good leadership, good work ethic. He can help you build your culture. He would be, uh, I think, good to a younger quarterback. And so you could have Bridgewater as the starter. If he plays well, great. You know, maybe you actually have a starter and you can be competitive with him. If he doesn't play as well as you would like, or if he gets injured, well, you drafted a young guy and that person can step in. So uh, that, that was a place I thought he could make sense. I think New England could make sense for Bridgewater if he goes uh, uh, if Brady goes elsewhere certainly he's someone who could come in. Same things good work ethic, leadership, is not going to lose the game for you uh, somebody who would obviously be coachable all those different types of things. That could be fascinating. And he, even the Chargers you know, even if they do spend a high draft pick on a quarterback uh, you know, if they, they use the sixth pick or whatever it is on a quarterback he's someone who could still kind of be that bridge guy to someone like uh, like Tua there in Los Angeles. So I think those are a few different options for him. Well, and the buzz I was, was hearing with Bridgewater too, uh, the Bucks, uh could be a possibility. If, you know, if Phillip Rivers, if he decides to go to Indianapolis, uh, maybe Bridgewater's their, their plan B. And, and I think a lot of it is around the fact that he's kind of the anti-Jameis, you know, that he's not going to throw a ton of picks. He's um, just a little bit different with how he operates uh, and handles himself, goes about his business, and so uh, that could be an interesting fit as well. And so it's yeah, this we talk so much about these these first round quarterbacks and how um, you know Carolina specifically uh, they're a little bit of a a wild card picking there in the top ten with a a new head coach who's really running things there in Carolina and he's not looking for a quick fix. This is going to be some type of rebuild for him. And so probably not going, they probably won't go quarterback in this draft. We, we don't think, um, you know, maybe they, 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 uh, they could, we can't rule anything out, but with rule really looking at a long-term, uh, you know, rebuild of this roster, um, how that's going to affect what they do in free agency. So, yeah, this I, I think that uh, when you look at that NFC, that South, uh, it, that that's really interesting to see what some of those quarterbacks are going to do. Yeah, the the Bridgewater to uh, the Winston to Bridgewater thing is just hilarious to me, and not not because it couldn't happen. I, you know, I, I think you're right, Dean. There has been uh, that kind of buzz, and it certainly could happen. But you see this with organizations when they go from like the the disciplinarian right. at coach, and then they go all the way the other way to the players coach, or even in real life. You know, you have a friend who's like yeah. uh, dating one type of person, and then that doesn't work, and they just go totally the opposite. And you're like, wait a minute, what what is going on here? Like there is. Right. a middle ground with some of these things so if they uh decide if they were just like we need the anti Jameis we need someone who's not going to turn the ball over uh, I think that would certainly fit in that category Dane has your because we're talking about uh, like with Tampa Bay you have them matched in your latest mock with Jordan Love at 14 who mm-hmm. uh, you kind of mentioned might be a good you know sit and wait kind of guy draft and develop for a year behind a veteran but we've talked about Carolina maybe being one of those teams that considers trading up to two or three or whatever obviously uh 
you know the Chargers if if Philip Rivers is leaving like that's another team that it seems like a natural fit to go up from six to three for Tua or Justin Herbert or whoever it's going to be has anything changed for you uh with sort of these teams that you you're viewing as kind of QB needy as we get closer to free agency like are you thinking that there's going to be teams that address some of these issues with free agency or have you taken quarterback off Carolina's draft needs because you're expecting them to hang on to cam or whatever here like what's I guess are you still in the same spot with any of these these franchises as we get closer to free agency and then the draft yeah it's definitely tough uh, this time of year because there's a lot of a lot of information out there obviously uh, as you guys know and just trying to pick through what's noise what's truth um, I, I do think that based on what I've heard is uh, uh, most teams expect Carolina to not go quarterback uh, in the top 10 uh, this year um, for a lot of the same reasons I said. Just, you know, Matt Rule yeah. uh, is interested in building his own thing and it's not going to be a quick fix and he's not going to, you know, take a, an injury prone guy like Tua there. And um, I, I think the most likely scenario is Carolina tries to trade back and they get more draft capital for next year. And maybe they use that to go after a Trevor Lawrence or whoever. Um, but uh, I, I do think that when you look at the Chargers, uh, good chance that you know they could go uh, quarterback uh, some way. I, I think Tua would make a lot of sense. But again, we're still. I mean, the more people you talk to around the league, the more it's just it's the same thing. Where yeah, we love Tua, but and it's just it's the injury stuff, and it's not. I mean, I, I give his camp a lot of credit for the PR spin about how, you know, he's on track, everything's great, um, you know, rainbows and, and everything, <laughs> and, and that's that's awesome, but it, that's just not, that's not how it is, uh, you know, in NFL circles. There's a lot of concern about uh, long-term durability, about, uh, you know, are we gonna, would we see him as a rookie, uh, and a lot of it will depend on when he throws, April 9th. Um, you know, he's going to be... He's supposedly cleared right now, and that's great. But there's a big difference between being cleared and then being the same guy on the football field. And so uh, there's kind of a wait-and-see mode with, with Tua. Um, now, as for Justin Herbert and Jordan Love, it's I, I, I said this at the Combine. I still feel that way. Don't be surprised if either one of those two guys is the second quarterback drafted. Um, I think Miami was certainly in play, uh, specifically for Herbert. I think it makes a lot of sense there. Uh, now, do they stay put at number five and try to get him there? Do they make a move up and um, you know go get him if they feel like they they have to do that? If there's a little bit of stress, but that's why they've been accumulating draft picks, so they can go get the guy they want. Um, and maybe anyone except for except for Joe Burrow, uh, who might be just a little bit too expensive uh, to go get. But hey, you make that call to Cincinnati and you make them uh, make them say no. So yeah, this. This quarterback uh, carousel is really, uh, really interesting, and it's fascinating what Shield said about how the the supply and demand. Like, there's, uh, you know, I don't know the last time we've seen so many free agent options at the position, and not enough spots for these guys to land. And so it's just, you know, who's going to be left without the chair, and then how does that affect the draft? And you know, the first. 10 picks or so so it's this is really going to be an interesting next two months uh for the quarterback picture throughout the league 
Uh, I think the one move you mentioned that, like, if there, if I could say one move in free agency that would blow up the first round of the draft, I think it would be Brady signing with the Chargers because of what mm. you just said. You know, I, I think if they sign anyone else, or even if they make a move for uh, Cam Newton, or they sign uh, Teddy Bridgewater, or they go with Tyrod Taylor, like any of those moves, you could say, all right, they could still draft a quarterback at number six, and whoever the veteran is is sort of the bridge guy. But you're not sign, you're not signing Tom Brady. And then drafting uh, Tua at number six, like you need, I'm sure the conversations that would take place in that free agency meeting would be, all right, here's our plan for how we're going to help you with that sixth pick or probably more likely how we're going to trade down, trade back maybe and get uh, additional picks to make sure we surround you with a better offensive line or uh, whatever uh, their other needs are because they they have a very talented defense right now, uh, the Chargers, and they have good weapons. It's all about the offensive line. So I think that would have to be part of their pitch, but that would be the move that would really kind of throw the quarterbacks taken in the first round, I think up in the air if Brady went to the Chargers. And that's, that's tough because I, I think that when you you look at it I mean how often does a rookie offensive tackle or you know it really affect wins and losses at the end of the day you know for a team and so how is that going to appeal to a Tom Brady Um, if if the plan is for the Chargers is hey you come here we're going to sign a left tackle and number six, or we're going to draft a left tackle at number six, uh, or we're going to trade back and, you know, get another one of these wide receivers. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting part of this is what, what exactly would be the Chargers pitch to, uh, to Brady more so than just being in Los Angeles and, and all that. So, because obviously Tom has, you know, one or two years and it's just, okay, what's, you know, we, we have to win now. And so I think, I think on the surface, Tua would make sense to the Chargers because Tom Brady only has one or two years. It's a short-term option, and so it would be a natural transition to draft a guy like Tua who might need a redshirt year anyways, and then Tua's ready to take over as a starter. But to your point, if Tom Brady, why is he really going to go to the Chargers if their plan is to draft another quarterback with their best asset that they have uh, in the offseason. So that is an interesting wrinkle for the Chargers and their pitch to him and how that might shape uh, what they're going to do this season. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. Actually, now as you mentioned that, and I, this is kind of like helping me think <laughs> through it, I think the, 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 the more likely thing would probably be that they would be able to trade that pick for veterans, right? Like, you're, you're mm, right. Yeah, right. that's I don't think that's going to sell Tom Brady that, hey, we have this, you know, uh, rookie left tackle who's going to be protecting your, your blind side for this season as we try to win a Super Bowl. But man, uh, you know, you don't see those types of moves. That could be kind of unprecedented, like trading the number six pick what types of players you know package of players with star level players could you get for that uh that that could be really fascinating where, where you really you know we're looking at free agency and there's not a great group of wide receivers uh available the the tackle market is not great in this free agency but if you hit the trade market it's a totally different story and the nba shuts down for 12 hours you start pulling nba trades in the nfl <laughs> draft <laughs> already expiring yeah, contracts I, I, on the move. Like. It, my mind's working too. It's like, okay, well, could you trade, uh, let's see, number six for like Trent Williams and, you know, the, like they don't have a second round pick. Like that would make some sense, but they have a third. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's, it is really interesting because I think you have to get creative uh, because they're, 
the, the Chargers have, you know, they, they would need to get another receiver. They want to get um, upgrades in the offensive line. Um, you know, Hunter Henry should be back if they use their franchise tag that way. So uh, they have to be a little bit creative. And I, I think that with the assets that they have and if Brady's really is interested in going there, uh, they'll have options. So it's it, it really is fascinating to think of all the scenarios. And I, I mean, it's I think people would be really fascinated to hear about all the different things that teams talk about, all the different considerations. Uh, and, you know, so a small percentage of it actually happens, but just the different options, because that's what teams are doing right now, is they're going over all their options. There's no stone unturned. You know, they're going over, okay, well, we could do X, Y, or Z. I mean, there, there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of scenarios these, these teams are talking about. So, uh, you know, they, they're not surprised when Brady signs with them or he doesn't sign with them. You know, there's always a contingency to uh, what their plan A is and so on and so on. So it, it's an interesting time in the NFL, especially for some of these teams that have a little bit up in the air right now. Like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, things being juggled. So it's the, the quarterback conversation uh, is really dr- going to drive the offseason like every year and especially this year. I did want to spend a couple minutes on – some of the other positions but just to check off a box because i don't know that we've even discussed this as a possibility in you know seven months of this show uh there's no chance the bengals would dip into free agency for a quarterback and take chase young at one right like we're done we're done talking about that first pick uh you know i'm i'm actually working on a story right now about what if the bengals don't uh draft joe burrow and it's it's more just because Look, we become when it comes to the draft, we become so conditioned to a certain outcome that we kind of just block it out and think of it as fact. And I'm part of that. I mean, I, I will be shocked if Joe Burrow is not the starting quarterback for the Bengals in September. I will be shocked. But at the same time, you know, at this time, uh, two years ago, who was saying Baker Mayfield was going to be the top pick? You know, and uh, think about you can go all the way back to 2006. Um, you know, Reggie Bush was the slam dunk pick for the Houston Texans. Uh, maybe, maybe an outside shot to go Vince Young. But then you, as we get closer, uh, Mario Williams is the guy. So, you know, I, I think this is a little different because Joe Burrow is so, so clearly the, the right choice and it just makes too much sense not to happen. Uh, but I think there is always that 1%. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say 1%. So it's a very low chance, but there's always that chance. Um, so I, I, you know, we can never say never, but yeah, I, I think that at this point where we are with things, it would be a, a big shock. But if you're the, say that you're, if you're the Dolphins, I, I mean, would you trade your, your three first round picks and another sweetener, uh, whatever that it, maybe that's a, a, a two, uh, two next year, whatever. I mean, you have to at least make that call. You force the Bengals to say no, um, and because I to me that's worth it. If you're getting your quarterback, uh, I would absolutely do it. Uh, if I'm the if I'm the Dolphins now, if I'm the Bengals, I, I don't. I'm in a position where I can draft my quarterback, uh, and I feel great about Joe Burrow and how he fits and and everything else. Uh, but if you're the Dolphins, you have to at least make that call. Part of the reason I ask is just spinning through Shields' top 100 matches here. Uh, and the Bengals only come up twice, I think. AJ Green staying home, and then uh, is it Kendall Fuller? There's another one on. It. Yeah, Kendall Fuller. Yes. Uh, so the the teams right behind them, you have. I mean, and again, this is just projecting out a little bit, taking some guesses. But you have the teams behind them: Washington, Detroit, the Giants, Miami, all being pretty active in free agency. So, um, do you see? 
like in your mind, is Cincinnati in more of a rebuild where they have to go through the draft? Like, are there, are there teams in that one through? You know, we just talked about the Chargers at six, maybe having a chance to kind of reload on the fly because of their defense. Are there teams right behind Cincinnati there that you could see getting active in free agency, having a good draft, and being a competitive team next year? Like, are the Giants or Washington or Detroit close? You know, my my Bengals choices there matching their free agency was just based on sort of historical precedent. You know, <laughs> right, they usually yeah. they usually just sit out free agency, and I think I said that in a thing, and some Bengals fan was like, "They signed Kevin Minter in like 2007 or something." <laughs> like, I'm like, "All right, all right." And uh, our athletic writer uh, uh, Paul uh, Denner Jr. Uh, reported that he thinks they're at least going to be aggressive at cornerback this year, and it sounds like they're going to bring A.J. Green back. You know, I actually think that the Bengals, if they get Joe Burrow, and obviously you never want to be too confident or too sure about a guy coming from college to the NFL, especially at quarterback, but if he is sort of as NFL-ready as advertised, I actually think they can be competitive next year like maybe you know I think in my bold predictions I said playoffs now that those were bold predictions so realistic Hmm. ones might be more you know seven and nine eight and eight but I like Tyler Boyd a lot I think if you bring AJ Green back uh, Joe Mixon is very good and I think they were uh, like 0 and 8 in one possession games last year so they were a bad team but they also were uh, quite an unlucky team last year. So I I actually like them to be uh, a competitive team next season. And then I think the Dolphins are kind of interesting. I mean, you know, if they go quarterback at five, that's not going to have a huge impact on what they do certainly uh, next year, most likely. But they were a competitive team, I thought, down the stretch. I was impressed with the coaching job they did. They were taking chances. They were pulling out, uh, you know, uh, trick plays and onside kicks and going forward on fourth down. And I thought it was very impressive how Brian Flores, after the way they started, uh, they became so competitive and it didn't kind of all crumble towards the second half of the season. So those are a couple teams in there. The Chargers we talked about at number six. I think they're a team that the defense could be very good. I thought they underachieved last year and got some bad injury luck, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were competitive. But then again, that's probably something we say we've said for like the last decade and things just don't seem to uh, go their way once the actual games are played. The Bengals, they... Really, they have two first-round picks because with Jonah Williams, yes. who missed all of last year. Uh, first tackle drafted last year. They'll get him back. Um, that offensive line, really, that's that's the question mark. I think um, you know, it, it can can guy like Billy Price, who has been a bust up to this point, can he play better? Can he improve? Um, you know, they drafted Michael Jordan last year. Uh, can he uh, really take that next step in his development? So that offensive line, I think, is going to be a big key for Cincinnati and helping Joe Burrow develop. Um, talking about, you know, obviously the the quarterbacks are the main dominoes. Is there one non-quarterback in this free agency pool that you think is a key domino to maybe affecting um, everything else, and not, and not you know affecting the draft, affecting where some other guys sign, what other teams plan to do. Is there one key non-quarterback free agent that you think could really uh, create a ripple effect with the decision that he makes? Yeah, I think I'll I'll narrow it down to two guys because I don't know who's going to get tagged, and this is why sort of the uh, the CBA vote coming up is so big because if they do not uh, pass 
a new CBA, then teams can use both the franchise tag and the transition tag. And so that helps a team like the Cowboys who are looking to hold on to both Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. That helps a team like the Titans that want some leverage with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. So I think Amari Cooper is a big one. Now, I think he's going back to Dallas. I would be shocked if he didn't go back to Dallas. But if they pass a new CBA and they use the franchise tag on Dak Prescott, well, all of a sudden, you know, Amari Cooper has all the leverage and he can say, uh, I'm going to at least test the waters out here and maybe the Cowboys just pay a huge price and keep him. That's possible. But if he does not, uh, you know, there are going to be so many teams interested uh, in signing him. The wider, the free agency class at wide receiver is terrible this offseason. And I think that really pertains to the draft where it's so strong. You know, is a team really going to say, hey, let's go pay a Robbie Anderson $12 million a year when you have such a strong draft class of wide receivers there? Are they going to be that aggressive? I mean, I would not do that if I were an organization, but you don't know how they operate. And then another guy who might be a little bit more under the radar is Yannick Ngakwe with Jacksonville, who they're going to franchise tag him. I don't know if they officially have franchise tagged him, but uh, it doesn't sound like he has any interest in signing a long-term extension there. And I think he becomes a pretty fascinating trade piece where the guy's only 25 years old. He's been very productive. I mean, he could just line up at defensive end uh, in a 4-3 and really give you consistent pass rush uh, on a year-to-year, week-to-week basis. And so uh, is there a team out there who might be looking for edge rush help who uh, you know might draft a guy in the first round, but they end up getting Ngakwe, who's sort of a young prospect, young guy who you know you're going to have in the fold for three, four, five years if you can sign him to a long, long-term extension. I think that's another guy who could certainly impact uh, impact team needs. I think Byron Jones and the cornerbacks are in there too, probably in my mind, just because yeah, you know, there's sort of a that it's a pretty interesting, pretty good class of free agent quarterbacks, but there's also a, a kind of a drop off once you get past like Jones, Chris Harris, James Bradbury. Maybe you put uh, Logan Ryan in that category, and then you're talking about guys who are more, you know, either slot guys or complementary weapons or whatever. So uh, that's wherever those end up, and especially because you know Byron Jones, if he gets out of Dallas, is is going to get a lot of attention and maybe reset the market at the cornerback spot. But you're also talking about like if Detroit goes and scoops him up, then they're probably not taking Jeffrey Okuda. And you sort of look at some of those dominoes too. And I think that that's a position that kind of jumped out to me just looking through your top 100 shield because you have uh, Jones, you have Bradbury in the top 20. Like I said, Chris Harris is up there. And uh, certainly some guys that teams could target there where you know you're getting a number one cornerback as opposed to trying to go through the draft yeah there's no doubt about it I mean teams like the uh, you know the Giants could certainly be in the mix for a guy like uh, like Byron Jones the Eagles I know that's later in the first round but I think they're going to be aggressive in pursuing a top tier corner Uh, a team like the Raiders could be in the mix for him so yeah if one of those teams signs him then all of a sudden cornerback becomes a a lesser need for them uh, in the first round of the draft I don't know which one of you to throw this question out to, but what does a team do if it needs a tight end this offseason? Because it's not a good tight end free agent class. You just We talked about Hunter Henry's decent chance he stays uh, with the Chargers. It's not a good tight end draft class. So are we going to see a bunch of trades at tight end or teams just going to cross their fingers? Like, What's the solution at that position this offseason? 
Shield, besides Hunter Henry, like who who's kind of the next uh, you know big not big names, but like you know what's what's the tight end class look like after after Hunter Henry? Yeah, it's really just three guys: Austin Hooper. It, you know, some of these guys just hit free right. agency at the perfect time, and I think he's one of them. He had a good year last year, and as Chris just mentioned, there are so many tight end needy teams that he's probably going to get a very big deal. Um, you, you know, uh, up among the top tier tight ends, whether you you think he is one of those or not. I mean, he's, he's certainly not in that top class, I would say. Um, a guy like Eric Ebron is the other guy. I think those are the three tight ends in my top 100. But then, yeah, if Hunter Henry, if he gets franchise tagged by the uh, by the Chargers, then it only is two guys. So I don't know. I don't see a lot of options. You're right. It could lead to some creative uh, trades. I don't they're, they're not options off the top of my head that would make sense as trade candidates, but you're almost out of luck if you're going into this offseason in need of a tight end. And there are some high-profile teams like the Patriots and the Packers come to mind immediately that could really use a, a really good pass-catching tight end. You know, maybe one of them gets Hooper, the other gets Ebron. Maybe one of them gets Hooper, the other one's out of luck. Uh, you really never know, but it is, it is a very bad offseason to be in need of a tight end. And traditionally, tight end is one of those positions that it, it takes some time for rookies to really get acclimated to um, everything that they're asked to do from blocking, from receiving. Um, and so I think it's a it's a long shot to draft a tight end in this class and expect him to make an immediate impact um, in terms of being a consistent starter. And, you know, you look at TJ Hawkinson last year, uh, who was solid. But, you know, when you draft a tight end top 10, you're expecting a little bit more than that. Uh, even Noah Fant, uh, another first-round pick at the position, uh, went going to the Broncos, had his flashes, but still, it, it's obviously a learning process for those guys. In this draft, I think it's going to be more of the same. We Maybe we have one tight end drafted top 50, maybe not. Um, there's going to be plenty of guys. You know, We might not have any in the top 50, but we're going to have four or five uh, maybe tight ends in that 51 to 100 range. Troutman from Dayton, Cole Komet from Notre Dame. Um, I think uh, Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic will be in there. I think Albert O from Missouri. Uh, I think those four guys will be somewhere in that 51 to 100 range. And then, you know, maybe we see one more guy, um, you know, Hunter Bryant from Washington. I think the injuries are going to push him out of uh, day two consideration. And then maybe a guy like uh, uh, from UCLA, Aussie Aussie, uh, maybe he's got a shot. But, you know, it's it's not a ton of, you know, guys that are going to step in from day one, make a huge impact. And so uh, if you don't have your tight end, uh, you might be looking for that veteran bridge. Uh, you know, it's there's I don't there's not a lot of a, exciting names out there. You know, Jason Witten, guys like that who maybe bridge the gap for one year while your tight end, your rookie tight ends learning and, and getting better. So, yeah, I think to to both your points, the tight end group is uh, it's tough to get excited about this offseason. Uh, I did ask our, uh, you know, all the team writers uh, for players on their teams who could be traded, and there were some tight ends on there. It's not the most exciting group, you know. Hayden Hurst uh, uh, in Baltimore, he potentially. Mm could get moved. Vance McDonald of the Steelers, he might have to be uh, released. Cameron Brait of the Bucks, he might have to be released too. Uh, our Giants writer, uh, Dan Duggan, mentioned Evan Engram uh, just as sort of a wild card there. I mean, that, that would probably surprise me, but I, I think his thinking was with sort of Dave Gettleman, no one knows what uh, what he's going to do this offseason, what direction they're going to go in. But certainly, I think of the names I mentioned, he would probably be the most uh, fascinating specifically for a team looking for 
for a, a pass-catching tight end. All right, well, we'll get out of here on this, Shield. Uh, is there anyone on this top 100 list that, uh, you know, like is one of your guys that you like really think is being underestimated as we head into free agency or someone's going to get a, an excellent value on, uh, someone that we'll be talking about, you know, a few months from now, once we get into the season, is that that was a home run signing. You know, I really like the veteran uh, edge rusher market. Uh, a lot of teams need edge rush going through kind of team needs and seeing who's going to sign who. And certainly you have guys like Clowney and, and Gakwe uh, at the top of the market. But I like, so you know, when a guy, when an edge rusher turns 30, I feel like it, it's not that old and those guys take a while to develop. So someone like Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, it feels like he's been in our lives for like 25 <laughs> years at this right. point. But, but like if you look at his numbers and his production and why, Watch him. I mean, this guy is still a productive, consistent edge rusher. He only played in 10 games last year because he had the injury to start the season. But once he got going, he had eight and a half sacks. He had 12 and a half sacks the year before in Tampa. No one paid attention. People who follow the NFL probably didn't even know he was in Tampa. But if you're sort of a team that's ready to contend now uh, and need immediate edge rush and don't have the dollars to spend or don't have a, a draft pick that's going to get you a top tier guy who can contribute right away, I'm thinking of a team like the Ravens, maybe a team like the Seahawks, maybe a team like the Colts. Uh, I really like a, a signing of Jason Pierre-Paul or maybe even someone like Robert Quinn, where it's not going to cost you a crazy amount of money. And those guys could end up being, uh, you know, as Productive as maybe somebody like Matt Judon, who's going to cost a lot more in the free agents top of the free agency market. Uh, I said this. I really enjoyed your uh, the predictions matching. That, that's that's tough. Uh, trust me, I was doing a lot of mock drafts. <laughs> you know, you put a lot of thought into okay, what what makes sense. You know, you you take into account uh, you know the the contract situations. You take into account. The depth chart, uh, the scheme, all that, and so I encourage everyone to check out uh, the Shields free agency predictions, matching the top 100 free agents with where they could possibly uh, end up. It's it's a really interesting read. And uh, final final question, I promise. Uh, <laughs> was there one when you finished this? Was there one that you kind of you, you know you you've got all these free agents lined up with the team? Was there one that stood out to you as kind of that surprised you, like? I didn't think that going in or maybe, you know, 48 hours ago, but now that, you know, I, I put it down on paper, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, was there anyone that really surprised you when you were done with this piece? The one that I struggled with and then I ended up, uh, well, it was Jadeveon Clowney. And at first I had him mm. written down as going back to Seattle. I think when they made that trade, they had the intention of we're going to sign this guy to a long-term contract. I still think that could happen, but I ended up giving him to the Titans. Um, you know, I, I think uh, when you look at it, Mike Vrabel obviously coached him in Houston, and I feel like Clowney is not a guy best suited to just line up at defensive end in a 4-3 and rush the passer off the edge. I think if you really want to maximize his talent, you need sort of a creative defensive scheme where you might only have two guys, you know, two guys with their hand in the ground. You might have him roaming. You might have him just almost, you know, they're, they're there's film of him with the Texans where he's almost like a blitzing linebacker, just like destroying guards and getting to the quarterback. And I feel like you just need to be able to maximize his instincts. And I thought when I put that down, I wasn't sure. I'm like, you know what? This probably isn't going to happen and it still probably will not happen. But I just thought that was kind of a fascinating fit for a team that feels like it can compete right now to add that kind of defensive piece to its front seven. All right, so there you have it. That's uh, Shio Kapadia. As I mentioned, you can get his uh, NFL 
free agency predictions are up right now. A really cool look at what's to come. Uh, NFL still planning for the moment to go ahead with uh, the new league year turning over next Wednesday. The legal tampering window uh, opens on Monday. Uh, also up at the Athletic, uh, 42 NFL players who could get traded, as uh, Shio mentioned that piece a couple times too. So some really interesting stuff about how this offseason might unfold. And then obviously you can circle over and check out Dane's content on the draft, uh, which you know kind of pair the two things together and figure out where teams are headed this year. So Shio, thanks, thanks a ton for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. And uh, one last time, just mention, if you get to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, you can get 40% off. Check out all these pieces we've been talking about, everything on the uh, Athletic Network. And you get access to Dane's Draft Guide, too, when that launches in April. It's the only way you can get access to it is through an Athletic subscription. So make sure you uh, get ahead of the curve there, and you can check out everything that we've got coming with free agency set to open in a few days here. So uh, for Shield and for Dane Brugler, uh, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.